Well, we are in Jonah 1 again. We'll be reading verses 10 through 16 in just a minute. And uh, this is Running from God Part 3. Running from God got so good that we ended up with three parts of it. And so today we look at the results from, of running. It dovetails with the consequences of running. If you remember, we've just seen last week, we've already seen uh, some of the consequences of running from God. And we know, we left Jonah who was in the midst of a violent storm at sea. And the word violent doesn't do it justice, but that's what had happened and he was to blame for that. And so we're going to look at the, that today. I love reading uh, commentary and quotes from Charles Spurgeon, great, great preacher from the 19th century. Sometimes he puts into one sentence what it would take me a paragraph to write. Listen to this. I'm going to read it word for word. God never allows his people to sin successfully. I like that, don't you? I like that. You see, you may think you can, but upon further examination, you cannot. And as Jonah was running from God, God was at work in the wayward prophet's life. Whether Jonah realized it or not, God was at work. And we're going to be reminded again today, and we are reminded again today, that God disciplines those whom he loves. So what is discipline? Well, I went to Webster's. Here it is. Are you ready? Training that develops self-control. That could be discipline, right? Stay away from donuts. Okay. <laughs> uh, also training that develops efficiency. I like that. Uh, I, this is the one I really like. Strict control to enforce obedience. Now, I don't like that if it's the government or someone else, but if it's God, I like that a lot because I want to obey God. And then the last one in the dictionary, treatment that corrects or punishes. And that's very pertinent to what we're looking at today. I want to read a couple verses. Uh, we could spend all day doing this, but just about discipline. You may want to jot them down and think about one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. You've heard this one, Proverbs 13, 24. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. You get in the picture? And then we go to Hebrews 12, verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But I love this. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see what discipline can do for us in our lives? How we can be trained. Don't you desire to have the peaceful fruit of righteousness in your life? Living in the crazy world in which we live? Wow, what a great promise. So you see, God's children are disciplined by the, for their disobedience. God's discipline works for his glory as he makes the most of a bad situation. So let me ask you a couple questions this morning. What good comes from discipline? Do we learn from God's discipline? Are we changed by his discipline? And we'll look today at some results of God's discipline as Jonah ran, and I think they apply to us as well. Here's a big idea. Here's an overarching thing to think about. You might want to jot down as we're going through the scripture this morning. When we run from God, his discipline runs to us and it changes us. 
When we run from God, his discipline, this is for the believer, runs to us and it changes us. Let's pray. God, we ask today, and I've been praying, that your word would penetrate our entire being and our lives, everything about us, and that we would respond to what you call us to do. And as your still, small voice whispers into our life, even this morning, God, we would listen, we would obey, and we would not run, but we would run to you. So God, help us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So let's look at chapter 1, verses 10 through 16, and continue this great uh, biblical prophetic narrative. Then the men, remember they're in the storm, okay? They're in the midst of the storm, and they've already figured out who's to blame for it, okay? Then the men, we could say the sailors or the pagans, then the men were even more afraid and said to him, Jonah, what is this you've done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence. Hmm. Because he had told them. That makes sense. So they said to him, what should we do to you to calm this sea that's against us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. And he answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so it may quiet down for you. And catch this, for I know that I'm to blame for this violent storm that is against us. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not because the sea was raging against them more and more. And let's just remember, we need to read in context, put this back to those days. There's no nuclear-powered vessel they're in, okay? All right? The storm affects them more than maybe some of our modern-day vessels, okay? So they are rowing as hard as they can to get back to dry land, but they couldn't. Verse 14, so they called out to their gods. No, that was earlier in the chapter. Now look what it says. They called out to the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, to Yahweh, to Jehovah, to the covenantial God of the Bible, the God of Israel. They call out to the Lord, and this is what they say. Please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life, and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Yahweh, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Wow, what a change. Well, let's look at three things uh, this morning. I made it simple. They start with an I. The first one is this, the investigation by the lost. By these guys, there's an investigation. These sailors saw the serious of the situation, verses 10 and 11. They began to understand the full implication of Jonah's rebellion against the will of God. It's interesting to note this. Have you ever thought of this? It's interesting to note that unbelieving sailors basically rebuke a rebellious prophet of God. Isn't that interesting? Wow. So they ask a personal question. In verse 10, they ask this question in verse 10. What is this you've done? You see, Jonah had confessed, 
Uh, He had told them they're very afraid. They're even more afraid, Scripture tells us. They're fearing for their lives. They believed that Jonah was at fault and that Jonah's God was indeed in control of the sea and the storm. I mean, even the most unbelieving person put in a situation like that, they're going, whoa, this is really happening. The storm was, I believe, probably the greatest storm that they had ever been in. One writer said it this way. The pagan sailors <clears throat> seemed to grasp the seriousness of his disobedience more than the prophet did. Hmm. Now let me just make a couple statements for you to ponder. Sometimes I think, it's my opinion, sometimes I think that non-Christians have more sense at times than carnal Christians. Ouch. Think about that for a minute. I've seen Christians who are rebelling against God. I've seen Christians who are disobeying God. I've seen Christians who say this but do this. And it makes me wonder if this guy over here that has nothing to do with God has more sense than that rebellious Christian. You thought about that? Is that you experienced that in your life? It's happened in my life. What about your life? We rebel, don't we? The Christian, you see, should have a higher standard. The Christian should have a higher system of life than non-Christians. And yet, as in this story and in modern day today, as we look around, it's not always that way or doesn't appear to be that way. We're people of the book, right? But we don't always act like we're people of the book. You see, Jonah had told them he feared the Lord. He worshiped the Lord. And yet, what was he doing? He was running from the presence of the Lord. Remember, we looked at that last week. Literally, presence, the face. He was running from the face of the Lord. And they're asking, basically, if I could say it this way, why, 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 why are you doing this? Barnes notates it this way. Now, this is kind of old English writing, so listen closely. I think it's powerful. The inconsistency of believers is the marvel of the young Christian, the repulsion of those without, and the hardening of the unbeliever. Those of you who call yourself a Christian today, be careful how you live, be careful what you say, be careful what you do, because people are watching. And most importantly, the lost, the non-Christians, Those who don't have a relationship with Christ, maybe don't even know that much about the gospel, they are watching. It's a principle for us here today. When we are out of the will of God, God will be at work. Have you ever experienced that? Now, lots of times we don't know until what? After the fact. And we look back and we go, oh, wow, yeah, circumstance, all that stuff was because of that. But when we're out of the will of God, God will use whatever he wants. He will use preachers. To rebuke us. He will use Sunday school teachers to rebuke us. He will use other believers to rebuke us. He will even use pagan non-believers to rebuke us. When our disobedience begins to affect the lives of others, as in this story right here, they will begin to ask personal questions of us as well. So it was a personal question, verse 10, directly to uh, Jonah. And then we look at verse 11 and we see what I call a pertinent question. Well, what does that mean? It's pertinent because what? It dealt with the matter at hand. Have you ever had a question asked of you and you go, what, what, where did that, what, where did that come from? 
or uh, what was supposed to be a question and then be a long statement, not even a question. Well, well, here they ask the question in verse 11, and it deals with the matter at hand. Look at it. They say, what should we do to you to calm this sea that's against us? Wow. It's a question we could ask today. You know how I would ask it today? I'd ask it this way. How can I or we get rid of the storms of life? How can I get the storms of life to quit raging? It's a good question to ask. And as we think about our lives today, we think about some of the storms that some of us are facing. Marital difficulties, health issues, death of a family member, family troubles. How about bills? How about job stressors? None of us are immune to the storms of life that rage around us. Well, these sailors were in danger of losing everything, even their lives. Remember what they had done previously? Remember last week? They had uh, resorted to casting the casting of lots to learn the cause of the storm. And guess what? One word. Jonah. It's Jonah. Yet, Jonah, this blows my mind. Who's Jonah? Do you remember who Jonah is? He's the prophet of the Lord God Almighty. And yet, even though they now knew he, he's to blame, it's him, he had not offered any witness of God. Guys, that gets all over me. What about you? How many conversations have we had about, well, if just this law is passed, or if just this ordinance goes away, or if this person is elected, or if I just made this deal, if I could just pay off this, we go on and on and on, but it, we never bring into any of it sometimes any witness of God, pleading to God. And these guys get to the point, they're ripe and they're ready. What an open door. Give a witness of God to them, but no. I would say to you this, maybe the most understated statement of the day, we should not be this way. We should not be like this. Let me give you two scriptures I want you to ponder on this week. Jot them down. First one comes from the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. The second one is 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. I'm going to read this, and you might want to write by those, live this way. How do we live? Live this way. Here it is, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp. You remember how they did it in those days? Light a lamp and put it under a basket. But instead, put it on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, in other words, pay attention to these two examples. Listen. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. How should I live? Don't live like Jonah. How should I live? Don't live like that author that you look up to, how should I live? Don't live like that person you think is a super Christian, or God forbid, live like that person that lives like the devil. How should I live? I should live this way. Salt of the earth, light of the world, so people can see God 
and what God has propelled you to do. Well, let's look at 1 Peter 3, uh, 15 and 16. But honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. There's the first one. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. However, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping your conscience clear, so that when you are accused, those who denounce your Christian life will be put to shame. You see, I believe in the arena of public life, whether it's in the neighborhood, in the school, in the government, in the city, in the state, in the nation, at the workplace, on and on and on, I believe we are losing our right in public life. Why? Because people can denounce our Christian life. They can put it to shame because of us. Because of us. You see who I'm pointing at? Because of us and our inconsistencies. Boy, I, I pray we'll meditate on that this week. Here's the truth for you. When we live for Jesus, the lost will inquire of us. Did you know that? If no one has inquired about God or spiritual things uh, to you in a while, maybe you are not that good light of the world. When we live for Jesus, the lost will inquire of us. But guess what? When we claim to know Jesus, but we live like the devil, the lost will still inquire of us, but it will be for a whole different reason. Don't be like Jonah. Well, that's the investigation. Let's move on to verses 12 and 13, and we see the instruction to the lost. We see it right off in Verse 12, the result of the sin. Jonah is finally honest. What does it say in verse 12? Literally, he says, I'm to blame in verse 12. It's the result of sin. He's Isn't it amazing? He's finally honest. It took all this time. And he shares that his rebellion against God's will is the cause of this mess. Here's something that's been said. Maybe you've heard this before. I always mess up this great phrase, so I'm going to read it to you. Sin takes you further than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay and costs you more than you want to pay. Is that not truth? Have you experienced that in your life? Boy, I have. Amen, I have. Jonah's running and rebellions led, led him so far down the dark path that he was will. Did you catch it? He's willing to die. Throw me overboard. It's, it blows my mind. His rebellion is so great, he's willing to die in his disobedience. Jonah, at this point, was not willing to obey the Lord's will. He knew it was going to cost him his life. And let me ask you a tough question this morning, Christian. Do you count the cost? Do you realize the cost for your and my disobedience to the will of God? You see, there are always results from our running from God's will. God brings discipline. Now, I know some people would say, and I've heard it said, that, well, God doesn't always bring discipline. Are you sure? I don't know. I'm not God. But all I know is most of the time, almost all the time, as I'm visiting with people and looking at my life, God's discipline comes when we're running, when we're rebellious. And Jonah is doing what? Jonah is reaping what he has sown. And the same can happen to us. So we get the result of sin in verse 12 and verse 13. We get what I think is a peculiar response. If I'd been one of those dudes 
and he said that, I would have drop kicked him over so quick. Would you have not? I'm going to save my skin, right? Self-preservation. Uh, the carnality in me, I would have said, guys, I don't need your help. I would have just, you know, I would have hulked up and that would have been it, right? I got green and all that and just thrown them in. Wow. But look at their response. Verse 13. They rode hard. They tried to save Jonah, the rebellious prophet. It's as, catch this. It's as if they displayed, these guys displayed more compassion for one man, Jonah, than Jonah had displayed any compassion for 600,000 or more people, inhabitants of Nineveh. Can you see the juxtaposition? Can you see the contrast that's there? It's, it's stark to me. And Scripture says they rode hard. Now, let's, that, that doesn't give justice. Literally, we get the word dug. They dug. Can you picture the rowing and digging in? We would say of an athlete today, dig deep. Any of you ever in sports? Man, just dig deep? Nah, I don't want to hear about that from coach, right? Or we think about the Olympics coming up. They got to row hard. They got to dig in. They got to dig deep. And so these guys, it's a great picture of this word here. They rode hard. They uh, exhorted great effort, but it was to no avail, was it? You see, it is useless to go against the will of Almighty God. You can dig as deep as you want. You can get as smart as you want. You can get as rich as you want. You, can, you fill in the blank. But it is useless to go against the will of God. And yet, we tend to do that from time to time again, right? I'm a male, I admit it. We need to be more emotional. So let me just admit something to you today. I'm a fixer. The ladies are just going, well, duh. You're elbowing the guy next to you, right? We're going to roll harder. We're going to fix it. The Protestant work ethic, right? I, I'll figure this out. Let me get my mind around this, or let me put my hands to the plow. Or whatever. Listen, it's useless to go against the will of Almighty God. You see, these sailors had already jettisoned the cargo. Now, why is that a big deal? That's their livelihood. They had already jettisoned the cargo, and now Jonah is the cargo or the baggage that needs to go. So we have this investigation, and we have this instruction, and then we have intercession. Fancy word for prayer. Verses 14 through 16. Notice something in verse 14. Notice two things. Notice what they requested and what they realized. Let me read it for you. So they called out to the Lord, please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life. And don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Yahweh, have done just as you pleased. Not only did they have that prayer request, their eyes were open to the God of the universe. The sailors turned to Jonah's God. The sailors prayed to Jonah's God. The sailors sought forgiveness from where? Each other? No, from Jonah's God, Yahweh. Previously, what had they done? They had cried out to their own gods, but not now. They, the pagans had done more 
than the preacher did. The pagans had done more than the prophet did. It's amazing to me. Here's a pithy little statement for you as you think about sin in our lives today. Sin silences our praying lips. Have you experienced that in your life? If you're in the midst of sin, habitual sin, unconfessed sin, it is difficult for you to have a wonderful and meaningful and deep and long prayer life with God Almighty. Sin in our life silences so much, and perhaps one of the most important things is it silences prayer. And boy, what an example. Jonah's not doing this. These guys are doing it. So what does is, what is the Scripture say? The Scripture says they called out. They prayed vehemently to who? Yahweh, Jehovah, right? Not to one of their gods. Now, that's interesting. That phrase called out is interesting. Uh, it, it's the same word as in uh, quite a few other places, but let me share a couple with you. If you'll remember how mankind got messed up. You remember Adam and Eve? Your mama and your daddy? You remember? Yeah. Remember Cain and Abel? Remember how that went? But praise God, in Genesis 4, what happens? A new baby boy comes. Remember his name? Seth? Genesis 4. Mankind then, after that happens, called out to God. Same word. How about Abraham? Abraham's on this journey of faith. He's traveling from here to here, and he's going to end up in New Mexico. No, he's going to end up in a strange place that he never heard of, though, right? And what does he do? Look at Genesis 12. He calls out to God. It's the same word as used here in Jonah. I believe they're turning to God. They're turning to Yahweh. These sailors recognized that the Lord God was in control of all things. Dr. Ironside, a great commentator of yesterday, said this. Crying to the Lord to not count Jonah's death against them. They threw Jonah into the sea. Notice that they respected the sovereignty of God, which Jonah had virtually denied. See, I, I believe it's possible that salvation came to them. They, they had more spiritual sensitivity than the prophet of God did. It wasn't Jonah's witness that made the change in their life. It was Jehovah's work through this storm that did the work in their life, that made the change in their life. And don't miss in some, something in this passage. Don't, don't just go on thinking, well, you know, finally that cold front moved away. No, immediately the sea calms. What a picture of the will of God and proof to them that God was real. God, uh, Jonah had shown no remorse for his wayward lifestyle. Did you catch that? He had shown no regret. He had shown no repentance of his wayward lifestyle. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever faced the consequences of disobedience to God? Have you ever faced that? And another question with that is, how did you respond? How have you responded to God's discipline in your life? Well, we get to verse 16, our last verse today, and we see the proper response to God. Don't miss it. It says, the men feared the Lord. Now, English messes that up. We'll talk about that in a minute. We just think scaredy cat. No. Uh, the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. 
It's the proper response to God. They feared God even more. It means, what does that mean? That word means they worshiped him. Another way we could say that, if you fear God, you, they held him in awe. They obediently respected the covenant-keeping God of Israel. Do you see life transformation taking place right before our very eyes? How amazing to think about that. Have you given up on somebody? Don't give up on them. Has someone been in a storm of life and we under our breath go, well, I'm glad I'm not like him. Come on. Have we? Or he's getting what he deserves. Really? Does the scripture not say that all have sinned? We can talk about a prison term here on earth or a setback here on earth, but we're all sinners and we all deserve death. And death is coming apart from Jesus Christ and our relationship with him. Wow. Maybe if we work more on life transformation, that will be winsome to others. Maybe we will put ourselves in other people's shoes instead of just blurting things out and realizing that God can do a work in their life. Listen, if God can work in these sailors' lives, don't you think God can work in anyone's life? I'll never forget the day someone told me, well, Hitler could have become a Christian. That freaked me out at first. I don't think I was a, a, a deep enough Christian to realize. But isn't that true? If Hitler, or you put in the blank, couldn't have become a Christian, I'm not saying he did, <laughs> then, then Lamar couldn't because we're all sinners. Wow. Well, let me close in this way. Here's what I believe is God's will for the church. I believe God's will for the church is simply this, to reach people for his glory in the name of Jesus. Now, we do a lot of stuff, but I'm not talking about stuff. I believe that God's will for the church is that we are an army that are reaching out to people, life change, life transformation for the glory of God and in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And so uh, what, what we see is it's not just in the name of Jesus, but we do this by the power of Jesus and also with the love of Jesus. So the narrative of, can, can we get up and look at the 30,000 foot view? The narrative of Jonah is part of the bigger story. Here's the big story, right? The entire Bible. And it's what we should be doing. What's the big story? God's plan to reconcile people of all nations to himself. That's it. God has a rescue plan to reconcile people of all nations to himself. And this is part of that story, and we're part of the story as we reach out to people. You see, here in Jonah, the story is about a God who loves his running rebellious children. Has anyone told you that this week? Has anyone told you? God loves you no matter what. God loves you. And he loved, he loves his running rebellious children. And this story also tells us that God is pursuing his children to bring them back to himself. And it's true today, right now, 
in May 2021, just as it was back in the midst of this storm in ancient times. So let me close with some questions. Will you ponder these this morning? Will you just get comfortable and forget everything else that's going through your mind right now? Will you focus on God and his word for a minute? Just get focused in and think about these questions. Are you in a great storm today because of your disobedience? Don't answer out loud. Just ponder that. Let me ask you another question. Would you be willing to repent and trust the Lord Jesus today? We sang the great song a minute ago. Would you be willing to trust? Here's another one. Would you accept God's discipline in your life and respond rightly to God's discipline? And then this last one is especially for those who truly are believers of Jesus Christ. Are you reaching people for Christ? That's our mission. Let's pray. God, as we move into a time of response, I would pray that you would declutter our minds and hearts right now and that we would focus on what is going on in our lives. God, that we would really take an examination. Where we're, whether we're in this room or we're watching online, we would examine our lives and see if you're calling us to repent to confess our sin and turn from it and trust you. And if, if, if we haven't do that, that we would do that today. And if we have done that, God, would you show us how to better accept your discipline, how to re respond rightly and correctly to your discipline. And God, would you burden us for people who are going through life and even dying today without you and face an eternity in hell face an eternity separated from you and all your goodness God would you speak to us would we respond would we be willing to talk about these things God would you help us to be willing to pray to do business with you in the name of Jesus we pray amen now I'm going to ask us to do something uh, that we haven't been doing as much but let's stand and we're going to offer a specific direct time right now to you. There's people up front right here and here. If you would like to respond to God, would you come forward? If you would like to pray about something, would you come forward? Would you do it right now? Would you come? If you are good, stand there and sing. If you need to pray right where you are, that's fine. If you need to sit back down, do business with God, whatever it is, you do that. But would you pray? There's folks here to pray with to discuss things with, you can just come up here and pray together. Whatever it is, you respond as we give you this time. Don't wait. Thank you. Amen. Don't wait. Why would you wait? Amen. The sailors didn't wait. Don't wait. What is it that God is wanting to do in your life? Thank you. Folks, pray right now. Pray that God would do a work in your life, a work in people's lives.
would we be willing to not waste another week of our Christian life? Church, would we commit to getting serious about making the most of God? Could we let people know that God is wanting to reconcile with them? During this time, if you're not sure, let me remind you that Scripture is clear that all are sinners. All fall short. All of us miss the mark of the holiness of God. And the penalty is death. Worse than physical death, it's spiritual death. Scripture tells us, but Scripture tells us that God loved us so much He sent Jesus that He has a rescue plan. Scripture tells us that God demonstrated His love towards us. Even though we're sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. And Scripture says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The sailors called out, didn't they? What about you today? I will not draw this out. We'll go just a little bit longer. There's really no time amount that we need to do. If God is speaking to you, respond. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be still and know that you are God. God, I thank you for the opportunity to just focus on you even for moments and hear what you're saying to us. God, I pray for those who need to respond to you. Give them the faith to do that, Lord. I pray for those who are going through storms. May they turn to you. I pray for those that have questions. May they seek answers from your word. God, I pray that we would be more like you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.